The Citizen's Guide to the Supernormal. So I said to the camel, that's my toe. <laughs> Alright, welcome back to the Citizen's Guide to the Supernormal. This is a podcast dedicated to the weird, unexplained, and all things sticky, stupid, and uncomfortable. Like having sex in a porta potty at a Van Morrison concert. My name is Saj, with me is Maynard. And joining us again tonight is our dedicated producer, Jordan. We're on Twitter, so follow us, you fucking assholes. I'm at Bastard Prophet. Maynard is at Maynard Rules. That's M-A-Y-N-E-R-D-R-U-L-E-S. And Jordan is at CG Super Jordan. You can follow the show at C underscore G underscore Supernormal. If you would like to contact the show, which again, I have no idea why you'd want to do that, you can email us at citizensguidepodcast at gmail.com. And we're hosted by Branded Sports at www.thebrandedsports.com. We have an email address? We do have an email address. And uh, if you could stop using it to sign up for various Russian porn, I'd super appreciate it. It was not various, it was just one. You gave Maynard access to the... Email account, and I don't have access to it? That's pretty fucked up. Well, so I didn't think Maynard was going to order a fucking mail-order bride from Russia with it. And now Svetlana is cleaning my kitchen, which is nice. What else do you do with uh, someone else's email account? Impulse buy, impulse buy. Sorry. (laughs) Incidentally, you can follow Branded Sports on Twitter, too, because they're fucking awesome. They're at branded underscore sports. Finally, if you like this episode, please give us a review on iTunes. You guys have been so good to us so far. We're already at five stars, which is amazing. Um, there was that one bastard who four-starred us. Yeah, what the fuck is a four-star all about? Clearly, this person is just they're, they're one of those people that are hard grader. You know, it is. one thing that I've they're learned about grader. our Maybe listeners. Maybe they're a Yankee fan. They just don't like me. One of the things that I've learned about our listeners is that they're lazy because they went through the trouble of rating us, but none of them left a review. That's mean. That's Don't. Don't you're not lazy. We love you. Don't listen to him. He's mad. He hasn't had bread in two years. It's been a year, okay? <laughs> a year. All right, all right. Now that all that bullshit's out of the way, let's get to the point. Buckle up, gang. Saj has a story. The year was 1959. Fidel Castro had just taken Cuba away from Al Pacino. Alaska just became America's oiliest state, firmly stealing that title from Rhode Island. And Bozo the Clown has its premiere on national television, ensuring an ample supply of nightmare fuel for many generations to come. Meanwhile, in Soviet Russia, some scientists threw some metal in the sky and it fucking stayed up there. Luna 1 would become the first man-made object to later become space garbage. So now that I've set the scene, let's talk about an incident so horrible, some dickhead had an entire area named after him. Nine hikers entered a cold, snowy mountain pass and none came back out alive. Some of the bodies were found nude. Some were found with devastating injuries normally only seen in serious car accidents. Eight of these people were hapless victims and one of these people is a tumbling dickhead who despite literally all the advice he received, still decided to get everyone killed. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but the fucking mountain was called Holachal, which literally means dead mountain. So, before we get in too deep, let's talk about the victims. Also, this is just a warning. At times, we will be discussing some serious bodily injuries. So, maybe don't crank the volume at work and uh, maybe don't eat a whole bunch. Uh, Just a point of reference, I typically like to stay away from things that involve the word dead or kill. You'll never find my fat ass up on Kilimanjaro. <laughs> so I'm just... Things, things that you should avoid are things that have the words dead and kill on them. <laughs> or any mountain named Kilimanjaro. Even if they add a jarro at the end to fucking throw you off. Although... Isn't that Lake, the delicious Mexican pastry? Lake Titicaca was not what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have the highs or the lows. <laughs> All right, so um, our source for this episode is primarily written in 2012. It's called Dead Mountain, the Untold True Story of the Dyatlov Pass Incident by Donnie Elcher. 
So we're going to get into the members of the group. We're going to start, of course, with the guy who started this whole fucking shenanigans, uh, Igor Dyatlov. Pronounced Dyatlov. He is 23 years old, studied radio engineering at UPI. That's um, Ural Polytechnic Institute. Uh, he's a group's leader, known to have indisputable authority and strong leadership. He's also rumored to have big dick energy, but I couldn't find a source to back that up. And he was also rumored to have a crush on Zenaida Kolmogrova, which you'll learn about a little bit later, because a photo of her was found in his journal. Clearly, he was scrubbing one out to a picture of this poor, poor woman. He also has uh, Steven Tyler lips, if you've seen his picture. <laughs> or just We'll post some pictures in the blog so you guys can look at this fucking asshole. I mean, it just, he looks, I mean, you know like those Muppet mouths? That you put your hand in, you got the giant mouth that opens from ear to ear. This is what his face looks like. Oh, really? Yeah. Send the picture to the group so I can take a quick look. Absolutely. All right. All right. Um. So anyway, but I mean, let's be serious here for a second. Dyatlov's complicity in the death of his friends cannot be understated. He completely ignored advice from literally everyone uh, who just kept saying to him. I mean, even people who lived in the area were like, dude, this is a fucking bad idea. Don't go here. So uh, then we move on to Zeneda Kolmogrova, known as Zena by her friends. One of the two females of the group studied radio engineering at UPI, had a lively, likable personality, considered very attractive, and many members of the group were attracted to her. She's basically this group's ginger. For younger listeners, that's Daphne from Scooby-Doo. Or for even younger listeners, stop listening to the podcast. I don't want your mom sending me angry emails. Also, she wears a pearl necklace like a champ. And that's a real pearl necklace, too. That's no joke. Like a Stormy a... Daniels pearl necklace. Like legit pearl necklace, yeah. like a champ. Uh, so then we move on to Ludmila. Can I... I'm going to give just a little tidbit. This fine young woman was a total badass on a previous trip out I'm going to get into that, so... Uh, oh, come on. I mean, you stop fucking stealing my thunder. Are you sure this... Because this one is a different... Um... On a previous trip, yeah, no, I covered, god damn it, steal my, go ahead, no, 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 you've already fucking started, go for it, fucking scene-stealing cunt. This is what I get for doing a podcast with brothers. So, I mean, she was once bit by a viper. Oh, this is a different story. All right, all right, I take back the cunt comment. I apologize. <laughs> okay, rare, so. Rare on apology a, from Saj, go ahead. previous trip. She was bit by a viper, but she did not apologize for hampering the rest of the group because she wouldn't give any of her equipment out to anybody else because she didn't want to burden them. She did apologize to the viper for not tasting better. Did she, the viper apologize to her? It was like, God damn, I didn't know you were so tough. Despite pain and suffering, well, she was unwilling to cause hardship to the others and survived the entire other trip without ever unloading any of her stuff. So we move, on from, we move on from that anecdote to go to another one that just proves exactly how, how much bad luck Ludmila has. You were going over Zanita. No, nope, we, we had moved on from, from Zanita to Ludmila. We really had. I just said her name. Right, so the story that I gave you was Zanita. So Zanita was bit by the snake. Right. So both these bitches were fucking bad bitches. Tough, they tough were, bitches. They were part of the bad bitches club. And we use that with the utmost respect. Like, they're not pumpkin spice bitches. They are... No, no. These aren't basic bitches. They're not wearing Ugg boots. They're fucking slaying dragons. All right. So, um, Ludmila Dubanina, known as... I'm not going to say it. Luda? Yeah, Luda. Luda. <laughs> Sorry. I just keep thinking about Ludacris. We're like pigtails. Uh, so, she's the other female in the group. 20 years old. Studied construction industry economics. Regarded as strong, serious, and rugged. One great example of her was that she was shot in the fucking leg by accident. And uh, and uh, this was on a previous hiking trip. She had to be carried over 50 miles of rugged terrain, but kept a fellow hikers in good spirits. Can you imagine that? Getting shot in the leg and be like, Hey guys, want to sing a, I'm going to sing a song. Get ready, let's do Wheels on the Bus. And uh, she actually happened at a bar in Providence one night, but... <laughs> Well, the best part is she, she actually apologized for ruining everybody's good time by being fucking shot. If I get shot in the leg, the last thing on earth I'm going to do is apologize for having a leg. 
And so she's known as being outspoken, principled, and a devoted communist. So this is where it's going to get a little grim. Everybody buckle up. This is going to be rough. She was found dead in close proximity to a stream with a tongue missing. Autopsy showed massive thoracic damage, internal hemorrhaging, including her right heart ventricle, and nine of her ribs were fractured. Her death was classified as violent in traditional Russian understatement. She had a stuffed animal that she brought with her everywhere, which is adorable as it is heartbreaking. And her eyes are uncomfortably close together for my liking. Is she like a cartoon character? I don't have a picture. Oh, yeah, no, this is, I mean, I'll share amongst the group once we take a little break. We're going to post pictures of everybody in the blog. This is, I mean. We'll probably post live pictures. We won't show the dead ones. It's haunting, too. All right. All right. So let's move on to Yuri Yudin, a geology student known as easygoing and humorous. Uh, he suffered from rheumatism, a heart condition, chronic knee and back pain. He hated Vlad- uh, Vladimir Lenin, but loved Joseph Stalin, the only survivor of the group. It should be noted that Yuri is a major source of information from this book and was more than a little weird. My kind he, uh, of guy. A good, <laughs> yes. He's, he is the mainhead of this group. Um, Yuri. Just minus the gimp mask. To give you a little bit of insight, I took it off. he it used hot. to preserve his only pair of shoes by walking barefoot in the summertime and carrying his shoes around on a stick. Personally, I would have left my fucking shoes in the house, but I guess he wanted to take them for a walk. So like a traditional hobo stick? Yeah, basically like a hobo stick. A knot. Dude, Jordans are expensive. <laughs> back, back then... I believe were... back then they were called Yosefs. Yosefs, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so... Yuri Doshenko, Doroshenko, studied radio engineering as well. A lot of radio people on this uh, hike, apparently. He was known as impulsive and brave. Once chased off a bear on a camping trip, nothing more than a geologist hammer, which, by the way, geologist hammer, it sounds like a sex act. Someone please put that in Urban Dictionary for me. On it. He gave the old geologist hammer. Yuri Krivnashenko studied construction and hydraulics, known as Georgie. Because there was three fucking Yuri's already, I guess. Also nicknamed Xena with pants. Because apparently Xena hiked in a skirt, I guess. Seems kind of weird. Would not, that um, was not a fact. He I was had. a musician and a funny man. He played mandolin. The only member of the group to be buried separately from the rest. He was supposedly... Um, so the interesting thing about him is that there was only one camera allowed with the group. But Yuri Krivnashenko actually had a second camera hidden away he had a camera hidden with his gear and for for people not familiar with soviet russia or the the rules of the time having a camera was a big deal so for him to have a second camera that nobody knew about it's kind of crazy so then there's alexander kovla god bless you vadov kolovadov kolovadov i'm calling it how about kolevatov kolevatov thank you he studied nuclear physics um, very private individual, physically imposing. The group had a no smoking pledge and he was like, fuck that noise. And he snuck cigarettes with him anyway. Um, they weren't found until after he was dead. So nobody got to be mad at him. Bro, where am I going to put my Marlboros? He's, he's kind of like the Walter White of the group. He really is. He's a fucking badass. Uh, he also kept a journal, um, which may or may not play in later. I can't remember. So then we go to Rustum Slobodin. Known as Rustic, he had a degree in mechanical engineering, son of very rich university professors, and musically gifted, very friendly. We get to Nikolai Tybalt Brignolis, known as Kolya, which has nothing to do with his actual name. He was uh, of French descent. He had his degree in industrial civil construction. He was very serious and intelligent, but kind of good-natured. He was actually French. He has family emigrated hmm. to the USSR because they really didn't like having all that stuff. And we go to Alexander Zoltaryov, known as Sasha, an acquaintance of Igor's who showed up last minute. So this guy Alexander is probably... and Sasha are fucking synonyms, apparently. Yeah. So this guy here, he's probably the most entertaining character of the bunch. Uh, probably the only person of this group that I'd actually want to have a beer with. He's much older or than the vodka. rest. Or a vodka. Or a vodka. Um, much older than the rest of the group, 37 years old. A local hiking instructor, worked in a mining factory. A mining factory? What the fuck is a mining factory? You're either a miner or a factory worker. 
Did he work in a factory in a fucking mine? Maybe he was making mining equipment. There could be. There could be. All right. This was all translated from Russian. So I'm assuming... So maybe he made mining equipment, maybe? I don't know. We spent far too much time on the mining equipment and far less time on the fact that Dolph Lundgren based uh, Ivan Drago's character off the two women in this uh, trip. (laughs) Because they were... So, mm, so bad. Check it out. So, um, so um, as we move on, uh, he was studying to be a military engineer. He had gold teeth, had the name Gina tattooed in his right hand. <laughs> a, apparently a solid Russian name. I thought it was Italian, but that's... It's pronounced Gina. <laughs> Gina. Um, he had a tattoo. <laughs> this is my favorite. This is the most Russian thing I think we've read so far. A tattoo of a picture of beets on his right forearm... And a tattoo of a five-pointed star in the number 1921 on his left arm. Tattoos were were uh, rare for Russians at the time, but common for veterans. He was a veteran of World War II. He was found dead wearing generous layers of clothing, but no shoes. His autopsy showed his right side of his chest had serious injury with five fractured ribs and severe hemorrhaging. The fractures were from a large force while he had been alive. So the, there were... Uh, uh, what is it? Anti-mortem? Yeah. Anti-mortem. It happened just before he died. Right. Or was that perimortem? Anti-mortem uh, is while you're dying, I think. And then post-mortem, post-mortem is, is after, after death. death. Yeah. Did you go over the coagulated blood? And- We're not there yet. You oh, no, I didn't. No, that? you can hit it. I've, I've, so, I've mentioned everyone on the group. Going back to one of the women, uh, the one who suffered the most brutal injuries... Without the missing, Luda. missing tongue. Yeah, Luda. Luda. Luda, right? So Luda, she um, was actually found to have coagulated blood in her stomach, which means that the tongue was either taken out while she was alive or the internal bleeding was so bad that it actually had ruptured something in her intestinal tract and Jesus Christ. filled her stomach with blood. So she was actually probably... So fucked up. Like choking on blood in... Spitting up blood as she was dying in this trip. So, so we're gonna get fun. to uh, we're gonna get to one person of note here. It's Lev Ivanov. Uh, he's a lead criminal investigator of the uh, Svidarlovsk Regional Prosecutor's Office. He replaced Vasily Templov, the uh, junior counselor who was out. You were doing a bang up job with these names this evening. I just want you to know that. Thank you. I wrote everything phonetically because I'm an idiot. Um, so the name of the, the mountain they were climbing is Holichil, sometimes translated, uh, or transliterated, excuse me, as Kolyat Sinyach, probably. <laughs> it, I, I, ultimately, the reason I bring it up is that the, the Mansi tribe, uh, people who lived in the area, they were it's indigenous Menzi. folk from... The Mansi people. The Mansi people, uh, indigenous folk that lived in that area of Russia. And uh, the area was known as Dead Mountain. And um, they're Mancy like the Aborigines the, from Australia. Um, in case, not even close. No, no, they don't look like that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I was gonna say, that's if you go to, really if you go to, area. no, no, no. If you go to Australia, like the local tribes there are like the Aborigines, right? Yeah. Well, this well, is they're what, Aboriginal people from Russia. Yeah. Right. So this is like the version of the Aborigines. Oh, okay, I see. I see the point you're trying to make. I thought you were like, no, they look just like Abor. They play didgeridoo. No, just in snow. Menzi does not yeah, equal. Yeah. Aborigine. Well, no, Mensi is when a woman gets her period. No, no, no the Mensi. Pe- oh, the Jesus. Mancy. Just move it. Move on. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm trying to drop knowledge in She's this got asshole. A Menzies. Jesus Christ. No, I know what you meant. Um, so, yeah, the Aboriginal. Mensi's is nothing to region. joke about. They attract bears. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. This guy from this group can chase it off with a geologist hammer. Wow, so we got bears and beets so far. When's Battlestar Galactica coming up? <laughs> All right, so the members of the ex- expedition to the uh, Ortorten Mountains in the northern Urals uh, were experienced in lengthy ski tours and mountain expeditions. But given the time of year, their route was estimated to be the highest difficulty assigned, uh, also known as a grade three. So the reason they were doing this entire hike is they were actually trying to get certified as... Um, as like the, the idiots. Yeah, basically, basically. Grade three hiking people. Yeah. They were trying to go to the highest level of hiking. 
because in Russia you had to get graded basically to be able to do a hike like this. Biggest hike that I want to do is from here to the stove. Yeah. What the fuck is this? This is not a vacation. You don't go hiking in January in fucking the Ural mountains. I have to, I have that's to, it's not a vacation. That's, that's work extra. If there's more than 12 stairs between me and a destination, I have to look for an elevator or really consider if I want to go there. I think about setting up a base camp for sure. They did. But no, no, no. If I'm going 12 stairs, oh, there's yeah, got to yeah, be no. a tent at the bottom, tent at stair six, and maybe some beer at a stair nine. Right. Uh, I would, that's maybe a rope. Solid plan. Pull yourself up. All right. What do we got for time? Let's, um, let's do a break. Yeah. Let's do a break, and then we'll get into the timeline. All right. We'll, we'll talk about what happened to these poor fucks. All right. We're taking a break. Come back, you sons of bitches. This episode has been brought to you by www.thebrandedsports.com. Go to brandedsports.com. Check out all the stuff they got. They're a pretty fucking awesome website because they're sponsoring this fucking podcast. I apologize for all the swears, but if you're from New England, you'll understand. Thank you, and have a wonderful fucking evening. Let's, let's, okay, let's, uh, let's all fucking high five, then we'll touch our butts together, and then we'll get this going. Yeah, I'm going to do without the touching of the butts. Yeah, I'm just going to have a drink instead, I think. Sucks to you guys. Okay, so, now we're going to get into the timeline. We covered, uh, some of the people that are involved. Um, we covered Igor Dyatlov, who looks a lot like, um, Mel Torme. if Mel Torme was... <laughs> If Mel Tomei was holding in a fight. And then, uh, what was it? Um, who else? We, we had somebody with butt hair. That was uh, Zena. That was Zena. Zena had butt hair, but she was a smoke show. Zinedine Zidane. And then uh, Luda looked like her eyes were looking at each other. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> like, they, like they weren't close enough, so they just had to sit next to each other. You know? <laughs> they were lonely. All right, so we're getting into the timeline. And then there was that guy, Seaman. Seaman. Seaman looked like Seaman looked like a little bit like Edgar Allan Poe's slow brother. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Allan Poe. <laughs> Quote the Raven. Trick or tweet. Hello, fellow students. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else think it's fucked up that this thirty-seven-year-old's hanging out with like people? 15 years He's younger than He's a weird him. dude. He's a weird At dude. least 15 years Everybody younger than Everybody knew that guy in high school who would buy you booze, but then he wouldn't leave afterwards. Yeah, right. All right. All right, so we're in the timeline now. January 23rd, 1959. The group begins their journey as they take a train from Zverdolsk to Serov, two places that sound like no one has ever had an orgasm there. Then we get to Can January. Confirm. Name checks out. We get to January 24th, 1959. The group gives a presentation at uh, school number 41, because they don't name their schools after people like we do in Zerov. Yeah, that's very um, cryptic. Yeah, they, they presentation, <laughs> it sounds like a horror movie, School 41. Isn't that a band? So the children, they uh, they give a presentation to the kids about hiking and skiing in return for the school allowing the hikers to sleep at the school Later, none of these children ever go hiking again, and one of them produces the Blair Witch Project. Also, uh, part of the uh, curriculum in their speech to the children was how to wrap it up uh, safely while hiking and not <laughs> using a condom. Birchbach, yeah. for those of you that don't know. So after this, after they wake up the next morning, they leave and they take a train to Ivdil. January 25th, 1959, the hikers travel to Vizay by bus and spend the night at a free workers' camp. Vizay is the last civilized outpost where they send their last communication out into the world. Um, in January, 1920, uh, January 26, 1959, the group consults a local forester who, warns, who, uh, who strongly advised the group against their planned trip. The forester is named Ivan Rumpel. He has the best fucking the little, best name. Little did we know that Ivan Rumpel Stiltskin... I feel like a guy out. named Ivan mm. Rempel is like a, he, he like does laundry for a living or like maybe he paints, he paints like miniatures. Well, he was a woodsman. 
He was a woodsman. He was a hunter. He was a woodsman. So maybe his friends are the miniatures, you know? He Yeah, like he that's his only his only friends, his his companions. He goes home and he's married to a bear. <laughs> Mrs. Rumple. She's <laughs> She's she's pissed that he spends all day in the woods looking at all the other bears. So I'm going to I'm going to quote Ivan here. He says I expressed my opinion that it is dangerous to go over Ural Mountains in winter, as there are large ravines and pits where one can sink, and winds are strong, and people can get blown away. And the group's like, nah, that's cool. And then travel by truck to a woodcutting settlement in Sector 41, not to be confused with Public School 41, where they spend the night. This is where Yuri Yudin's chronic pain starts to act up, also known as he's a giant pussy. Yeah, no, I'm going to go ahead... Back to Yuri Yudin going, hey, that woodsman? You're the one married to the bear? He might have had some ideas I agreed with. He said blown away, right? Like, not blown over, but completely picked up by the wind and thrown. It's like uh, that scene in Twister where all the cows get fucking thrown around. Like, perhaps in, in like into, like, a tree or something that could break your ribs? <laughs> Possibly. Or <laughs> maybe, maybe he just was like, I don't want to be Sonny Bonoed in this shit. And... <laughs> He was like ahead of time. In right. Soviet Russia, Sonny wind Bono blows was you. Still a singer at that point. Do you got to pay extra for that? I, you know what? If if I would, I mean, at this point, uh, pretty much anything for a blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> Been married eleven years, guys. So, um, moving on, January twenty seventh, nineteen fifty nine. The hikers travel in difficult conditions overnight up the Lovza River, which is partially frozen. Uh, and they go to an abandoned geological site. They were assisted by a former convict with a horse and carriage, which carried their packs for them. Seems seems legit. I would avoid any Russian former convict because cannibalism is a big fucking thing in Russia. Like, way bigger than it is here. I would avoid anything with the word abandoned in it in Russia. That's true. That's Personally. true. You see what happened with fucking... Uh, that place, Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Oh, actually, yeah. that was a Ukraine, though, isn't it? Uh, it was Russia at time. It at time of writing was USSR. I got nothing going. It's in USSS. <laughs> USS. Are you afraid of the dark? You speak Russian better than I do. That's true. January twenty eighth, nineteen fifty nine. The hikers sleep in an abandoned house at a geological site. Yuri Yudin decides this is where he will not continue on with the trip due to his chronic pain. Yuri, also known as Sandy Vagina. <laughs> Yuri only traveled this far in order to get to the geological site as he studied geology and wanted to retrieve samples because he's a gigantic fucking nerd. Can you imagine like being in severe pain, but you're like, no, no, there's rocks there that I haven't seen yet. Geology rocks. Yeah, fuck you, Yuri, you fucking clown. 19... My, my pain will only allow me to collect these rocks and then I'm out. 1959, January 29th, more skiing. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's, that's all that happened. They did a little bit more skiing. I don't know. Skiing up a river just sounds weird. <laughs> right? They were cross-country skiing. It's like regular skiing, only you do it wearing Birkenstocks. January 30th, more skiing. <laughs> but now along the... Um, I'm not going to say the word. It's another river. Aspaya. Aspaya? Auspicious. Aspaya River. The skiing is very difficult as the snow is deep and generally not conducive to fucking planks on your feet. Wear snowshoes, dickheads. And the river is not frozen. How does that work? I don't know, but that night an argument they had occurs a between they were. Ludya and Kola, uh, Kolya over who would stitch up the tent, which I'm pretty sure is another sex reference. You guys figure it out. That night was also um, Doroshenko's 21st birthday. And uh, actually takes takes the Guinness Book of World Records as his saddest 21st birthday to ever be had. I don't think there was a drinking age in Russia anyway. It's still, it's depressing. Um, uh, Ludya was the only one who didn't participate in the festivities. And um, when I say festivities, I mean they shared a fucking tangerine. Which again, I think is definitely fucking. Somehow sharing a tangerine sounds like a weird sex act. You're saying, no, they didn't share a tangerine, they split a tangerine. So... They split a tangerine. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure, from what I'm gathering from this timeline, Ludja's kind of a prude. Are we saying like seven guys went on the other one? Is that what happened? Good, I mean, good for her. She's just, she's just, she knows what she's got. She's just, she's not afraid. So 
you guys want to split a tangerine? <laughs> <laughs> not with you, man. No, also, no, no, why are you not, wearing I'm... a fucking mask? It's comfortable. It's so weird. It's it is kind of chilly down here. I've... It is, and it's cold, and it's almost Halloween, so just enjoy. All right, January 31st, they start to hike up a slope away from the river towards the Ototan Mountains. Then going as slow as Igor noted, the trek is hardly visible. We'll lose it often or walk blindly, so we cover only 1.5 to 2 kilometer an hour. Which is, um, and so here's a direct quote, uh, another direct quote, I mean. The wind is warm and piercing, blows fast like air when plane takes off. Um, and they're so exhausted that they set up camp by 4 p.m. The last journal entry for this day, oh, I'm sorry, the last journal entry entirely is made that night by their leader, Igor. He says, it's hard to imagine such cozy place anywhere at the ridge under the piercing howls of wind in hundreds of kilometers from any settlement. It's, I'm sorry, it's hard for me to take this shit seriously when everybody measures everything in kilometers. I know that's how everyone in the world does it. It's just for some reason it makes it funnier to me. I don't know why. I got nothing. Yeah, just kilometers just make me laugh. I don't know why. I mean, if we if we said miles to them, they'd be like, well, I kind of wish we did everything in kilometers because it just seems like an easier unit of measurement. Well, yeah, it's in, you know, it's in tens. It's easy. Right? Who knows how many fucking feet are in a mile? What is it? 6,000? 5,280. Leave it to Maynard to get that it's one It's weird right. that that's the one thing Maynard ever gets right. Okay. February 1st, the final day. They took 10 photographs on this day. So when I say final day, I mean this is the final day that we know that they were alive. Um, they took 10 photographs on this day. There were 10 photos showing that the mood was positive, and they were standing around laughing. One of the photos shows Rustum, Rustic, Slobodin. Um, it shows his jacket significantly burned and tatted, possibly due to being left too close to the fire. He appeared to have good humor about it, showing their calmness and preparation, um, and that he can lose a jacket and have it have it on fire within the tent, showing little cause for concern, basically. Um, the hikers built a shelter to store supplies while they trek up the Ortorton Mountains. Um, they then ski, again, to the area where they set up their tent for the night and arrive approximately at 3 p.m. The sun sets at 4.58 p.m. that day. So um, now we're going we're gonna to take... Wh- where are we at? What are we at for time? Around 13 minutes. Yeah, so let's take a let's take a final break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about all the god awful things that happen to these fucking morons. Well, the one moron, and then the eight poor hapless victims. Bum bum bum. Famous monsters celebrating horror, sci-fi, and fantasy genres since 1958. Their annual magazine is available now, along with new apparel released every month. Follow them on social media at Famous Monsters and check out their entire catalog at CaptainCo.com. All right, so uh, welcome back to. Hey, uh, hey, hey, well, since we're talking about the metric system, yeah. the Proclaimers were from Scotland, right? Mm hmm. What the fuck are they singing about, Miles? Oh my god, you just blew my fucking mind. Why would it not be 500 kilometers? I know kilometers does not roll off the tongue like miles. It'd be like 750 kilometers. Right. Well, they could have just said kilos. Yeah. And I I would walk walk 724 kilometers. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, they they set a specific distance in their head, and I guess 500 miles was just... Do they even rhyme the word miles? No, I don't think so. They just said they'd walk... They'd walk more, 500 more. Yeah, right? Well, that's 1,000 right. miles. That's pretty fucked So he up. said he'd walk 500, and then he'd walk 500 more. They don't have miles right. in Scotland. Walk, that's yeah. the problem. Right. To walk 724. No, I guess that doesn't work if you just, no. All right, so, I mean, I get it. But, I get it, but it's still fucking weird. But, you know. And why 500? You know, you could just do, like, 1,000 kilometers. And right. I would walk 1,000 kilometers. Oh, yeah, that's, that's why. It's the, yeah, that's it's why, the whole yeah. syllables. Kilometers. Syllables. That's, that's the they went one. with. But again, okay. you go back to kilos. And I would walk a thousand kilos. 
No, it still no, wouldn't no, work. No, no, because then, the, you know, you'd, you'd walk a thousand kilos of what? And I would walk a lot of kilos. <laughs> 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 there we go. Problem fucking solved. All right, well, we saw, I kind of, I think we solved that I think we solved itself, it. But we still, did. but still, that's the one time that. This is the first time CGS Podcast has solved anything, so. It's, it's, the, it's the one time that the Europeans decided to go with miles over that's the true. metric system, that's all. <laughs> it's All weird because right. you go to Canada and the signs are both in miles per hour and kilometers per hour. Well, but they're also in English America. and in French in most pla- in uh, at least the eastern part of Canada. They're, they're tired of Americans getting lost up there. Like just put the fucking miles. Just on put the, the fucking too. miles on there. Uh, they'll be fine. Put the English on this. So I don't keep asking us questions. I like how Massachusetts is one of the only states that like even pretended to adopt kilos for a little while. So like some of our signs are in kilometers, but most of them are in miles. Yeah, it's just like a ruse, a joke. Yeah, we're just like, eh, let's just placate them. Thanks for coming here, people from Quebec. You stupid frogs. What up, Ontario? All right, so we we got way off the off the beaten path here. Speaking of off the beaten path, let's talk about some dead Russians. So February 2nd, Yuri Yudin travels back to his home to visit his family. Nothing else happens that day. He must lead a boring existence. Um, I feel like it's probably slightly more exciting now. So, you go back he to him being a geologist. So actually not that exciting. Wait, what? He's a geologist. He didn't die in 1912. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, 2012, excuse me, that's what I meant he to say. He lived a long... Oh, wow, he lived that long. He lived a while, yeah, he wow. lived a long time. Well, don't forget, he was only 20 in 1959. So, he, I mean... Still, he was in chronic pain at 20, I mean... Yeah, it kind of weirds me out that that he. Um... Uh, that was just an excuse. He was kind of a, just a bitch. But let's go back to a second, right? You know the guy who, like, stuffs like sticks butterflies in a shadow box and puts them on his wall. That's not a geologist. Right? Do you think Yuri did that with rocks? <laughs> <laughs> he like stuck rocks to a shadow board and was like, "This is limestone." He just found a piece of granite and just started rubbing one out. God, look at the fucking veins on this rock. All right, so um, February 12th, the expected return date of the Dyatlov group to Vizay, according to the original plan. In reality, the group was already three days behind, though, but Yuri Yudin um, didn't give a fuck, so he didn't tell anybody. So he warned no one that they were going to be late. February 15th, the families of the hikers become concerned that they have not returned, and the school officials are not concerned because they just don't give a fuck because it's Soviet Russia. In uh, February uh, 17th, light orbs are spotted in the Ural region. UPI administrators send a telegram to Vizay to see if the hikers have arrived. February 18th of 1959, a search plane is requested and fucking denied by the university. They're like, oh, these people are missing, but go fuck yourself. We don't want to have anyone look for it. Like All the pilots are like, I ain't going up there. There's just a lot of negative publicity that the school can't handle. I mean, look what happens when like college football teams now have all these scandals, and they're just going to sweep them under the rug. Dude, it's fucking Soviet Russia. Right, well, the college hiking team is obviously really important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would think they'd be superstars there. So, in February 19th, be pissed if I had on my Vizay responds to the telegram that the hike has never arrived there. A formal search party is uh, formed by Colonel Georgi Ortyukov. Ortyukov. Yeah. A lecturer and a reserve officer in training at UPI. February 20th. So, was he, like, he was like the American version of Rent-A-Cop. No, no, he's more like a, the American version of the National Guard. He's like a he's like a weekend warrior for Russia. I thought Got you it. said RoboCop at the for a moment. It was like a oh, that'd be pretty sweet, right? Yeah. Back in '59, but he'd be like, because it's Soviet Russia, he'd be like steam powered. <laughs> <laughs> so in February 2019-59, the search begins. Yuri Yudin returns to UPI to find that his group has not returned. A criminal investigation is opened by the uh, Ivdel Prosecutor's Office. There's nothing criminal believed to have occurred. In which the it's chief suspect standard... was Yuri Yudin, by the way. What's up? The chief suspect, Yuri Yudin. Yes, but uh, they didn't necessarily think that something had happened. It is just a standard operating procedure. 
based on the duties of the prosecutor's office. Vasily Templov is assigned to the case based on the proximity of his office to the incident. Imagine being the guy closest to the shitty mountain where everyone died. They're just like, hey, uh, I know it's super warm here, but um, you got to go hike up this fucking frozen mountain and go find some people. Do you think like that's the assignment you get? Like you know how like you get demoted here in America, and it's like you're gonna be sent to Alaska. <laughs> you're gonna be sent to the Dead Mountain, where you're you will probably fucking detail. die. You're a loose cannon, Vasily. Um, so he's experienced as a prosecutor, but has little to no knowledge in dealing with missing hikers. Um, so perfect man for the job. Uh, February twenty sixth, nineteen fifty nine. The tent is found. Tent poles are still vertical, vertical, with the entrance still standing. The tent is partially collapsed due to snow. There's an ice axe in front of the tent and uh, a half-buried flashlight that is still in the on position. The half-buried flashlight. It sounds almost another like another right. central position, there's, right? There's a lot of these. The half-buried flashlight. That's just edging for for campers. It's just the, gave her the half-buried flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> Inside the tent, it appears as though the hikers just left and couldn't re- and now would return at any moment. The stove is in the middle of the tent, but not set up. So February 27th, 1959, nine sets of tracks are found leaving the tent towards the valley. Yuri Duroshenko and Yuri Krivnoshenko are found by a cedar tree a mile downslope from the tent. So the two good Yuris. Yeah, we're going to get we're going to get a little gross here. They're found lying side by side, not wearing jackets or pants. Sounds like these two haven't had a fucking party. Right. There's just a little too much drinking going on. Friends want to keep each other warm at night and then yeah, maybe they forget just, about Maybe what... they just went pantsless to stay warm. They wanted to snuggle. They were snuggle buddies. Nothing wrong with that. Um, so one was wearing a checkered shirt and a pair of swim trunks. <laughs> okay. All right. Hang on. So this is the guy who wore swim trunks in the shower in gym class. We all know that, right? Who brings swim trunks on a hike in January? <laughs> Obviously. Maybe they maybe they thought there was a hot spring up there somewhere. All right, all right. I'm going to stop making fun of these guys because they are dead. Um, so they were found side by side, not wearing jackets or pants. One was wearing a checkered shirt and a pair of swim trunks under long underwear with only um, the right leg. Of the underwear remaining, the rest had been torn away. Um, he's also not wearing shoes or socks. The other had his undershirt, a checkered shirt, long underwear, briefs, and socks. Their clothes are shredded with pieces missing. One was face down in the snow with his arms folded under his head and broken branches under him. The other was on his back and appeared that an animal may have pecked at his eyes and mouth. It's important to remember the the animal peck that his eyes and mouth part because we're gonna we're gonna get to that as we get a little bit further into conspiracy theories in episode two. Uh, Igor Dyatlov, hang on. Uh, Igor Dyatlov is found not far away, buried under snow in a bent birch tree. His arms held against his chest, clutching the tree. He's dressed more warmly, wearing a sweater, checkered shirt, fur vest. In ski pants, he's got no hat, no gloves, and no shoes. He's wearing a mismatch. He's wearing mismatched socks, which is indicative of him trying to get out quickly. He's wearing a watch that stops at 5:31 um, p.m. I think. His body was presented in such a way that he was struggling up until he died. Well, it's fucking cold. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, the the thing that's so the thing that's so haunting about this entire situation is that you've got a bunch of people that aren't fully dressed for the elements, which means that whatever happened, whatever brought them out of their tent and out of their safety for this this whole ordeal, it took them by surprise. And so it's kind of scary. As we'll, we'll find out a little bit later as they look at the tent. The tent was cut away from the inside, which means they, they cut through the tent to run away. The thing that that's kind of fucking scary and the whole reason this is such a big conspiracy and there's so much weird shit going on with the story is that there's no reason for them to cut their way out of the tent. Like, everyone knows how a tent opens, you know? It doesn't make any sense. And the fact that they're, they're not wearing clothes, like, these people aren't wearing shoes and they ran away from their tents in the snow, in, in feet of snow, 
it it says that there was some reason, you know, it tells you there's some reason why they ran away from the tents. And it's, it's fucking, that's what's so creepy about the story. It's not necessarily that nine people died when hiking up a mountain. They just pulled, what, eight corpses off, a, off of a, a mountain in the Himalayas because a fucking storm came in. The thing Listen, is... Listen, all these people dying on mountains all showed some type of initiative. I am lazy sitting on a couch right now. I'm not going to die on a mountain. Yeah, but you're also still wearing your shoes. That's what I'm trying to say. These people aren't even wearing fucking shoes. I'm, I, just made a, I just made a sissy out in your backyard. There's a reason I'm not wearing my <laughs> shoes. <laughs> For those of you that aren't Irish Catholic, that means Jordan peed in my backyard. All right, so Zena Kolmogrovova was found several hundred yards away from the birch tree. Uh, that Igor was found at heading towards the tent buried under snow. She was on her right side, face down, her arms twisted beneath her. Her face was covered in dried blood, which indicates, obviously, that she was injured beforehand because the blood had dripped down and dried on her face versus just having a wound anti-mortem or perimortem. I mean, uh, post-mortem, excuse me. She was wearing a hat, a ski jacket, ski pants, but again, not wearing shoes, but wearing socks. Extremely well dressed. Well, yeah, I mean, she's she's well covered. For compared the to the compared to everybody else, extremely well dressed. So this is when the first theory is developed by a radiogram sent out to the um, sent out that day that stated we didn't have time to examine the tent. Probably they were buried under heavy snow. The tent got torn. People stood up and were swept away by the wind. As you guys remember from uh, the last segment, we talked about how the wind could possibly blow someone away. Um, another radiogram sent that day as well stated, in 16 hours, four bodies were discovered in different places. They were scarcely dressed and barefoot, which leads us to believe they were swept away by a storm. Those two messages got a return counter question of why were things left in the tent if people were swept away by the wind? Which is a fantastic fucking argument. Why, if there was a wind that blew these people away, were their tent poles still standing? I have an answer for that, but I'm going to wait until next Yeah, segment. well, you know, next episode you can cover the conspiracy theories. It's just something for the uh, our listeners to think about. It's February 28th, the lead investigator finally arrives at the scene and files his first official report. The tent was set up on the slope at the height of... Um, 1,079 meters. Um, an even spot was made underneath the tent, which means that they kind of like crushed down the snow so the tent would be level, with skis laid at the bottom. The tent was covered in snow. The entrance was partly open with a sheet curtain sticking out. Urine traces were found where someone had been, quote, and this is, this is to quote the Russian report. Using Saj's backyard. Taking a lick. When the tent was dug out, uh, a tear in the tent on the slope facing the side close to the entrance was found with a fur jacket sticking out of the hole. The descent facing side, so the, the side of the tent facing the, the descent down into the valley was torn to pieces. A pair of bound skis was lying in front of the tent entrance. Arrangements of things inside the tent were cataloged. It would later be determined that the cuts inside the tent were made from inside, not outside, by a knife or sharp object. So now we're getting to March 1st. Lev Ivanov takes over as lead investigator. As you remember from the very beginning of this episode, we talked that, that Lev was actually, uh, he outranked the previous investigator. So March 2nd, the temporary storage spot of the hikers is found. This is uh, that spot I talked about previously where they set up that temporary area to drop some of their supplies so they can continue up the mountain. Uh, the four discovered bodies are flown out. Authorities barred access to the Holchol Mountains and the surrounding area for three years after this event. Lead investigator Lev Ivanov wrote in his final report that the hikers had died as a result of an unknown compelling force. Ouch. Pretty fucked up story, right? It's crazy. For the most part. There's, there's a lot to unpack here, and uh, we don't have enough time to do it in the rest of this episode, so we're going to hit episode two. And uh, when we get to episode two, we're going to talk a little bit about some of our theories, what might have happened, what might have not happened. Expound on some of the stuff. And of course, Maynard, I'm sure, has something to say. I have, I've done some research here and found some, some devastating theories. 
So Jordan will have some great theories. Maynard will have Nazis on the moon, I'm sure. No, no, no. You can't All prove right. that didn't happen. All right. So thank you for joining this episode. And um, stay tuned. Episode three of the CGS podcast will come out shortly. Guide to the Supernormal.